0: Welcome to Broad and Fry. We'll hear from Stephen shortly. He's flown to that hotbed of cricket, Los Angeles. But in what may be a world's first, he's recorded a report on England versus New Zealand from high above the Atlantic on his flight to LAX. I'm going to give my thoughts on the World Cup and answer some of your questions. Our producer John Gill has joined me to keep me honest. Welcome, John. Hello, everyone. OK, let's get started. The World Cup this week Before I give my thoughts, let's hear from our American correspondent, Mr. Stephen Fry. Please forgive the somewhat shaky sound quality. The start of this recording does begin at 36,000 feet. So now for a sentence I thought I would never find myself saying. We now join Stephen Fry in the toilet of an aeroplane.
1: All right, I'm sitting in the lavatory now because the Wi-Fi has gone off, so... I've got about five hours till I land. All I know is that Nichols was out from Wokes' first over, that Gupto was out, him, I think. And I think that Kane is caning it, and uh, Ross is rossing it, Um, and who knows? Uh, I may land to the most dismal news imaginable, or to a hurrah. It looks like a pretty good score, despite the fact that it got off to such a flyer. Everybody's agreed that the pitch is slowed down. It's hard to score off. If we bowl sensibly, keep to our lines, um, then it should be difficult for New Zealand to make the slightly over six and over required. But uh, not impossible. Uh, Never put it past a Kiwi, a black cat, to, uh, to do the unthinkable and the unlikable they haven't scored 300 yet in the World Cup but this could be the first time so here I am in the loo feeling a bit silly that's cricket for you Here you go, catch you later Well, Stuart, Stuart
2: and, uh, and all our listeners, I'm um, talking to you from Los Angeles. Uh, I've just landed. Uh, I've just landed to hear the news uh, that England beat New Zealand and that uh, we are in the semifinals. I cannot tell you how frustrating it was that I had to go to America um, at exactly the time, or at least about sort of 10 minutes before play began on uh, Wednesday. And uh, so I missed the whole match. But there was there was Wi Fi on board, so uh, but it was a rather kind of flaky Wi-Fi, as you'd imagine, because you're, you know, streaming through the atmosphere and, uh, uh, you know, having a stable signal is pretty amazing. So I couldn't listen for some reason, because it was not uh, a UK uh, IP, you know, internet uh, provider, um, and nor would a VPN work, if, uh, if that means anything to you. So uh, I had to just follow it online, uh, the odd comment coming here and there, and, and Wicket's being notified. Um This is all very uninteresting to you, except that it raises the whole question of uh, cricket around the world, really. Uh, As as those of us who love the game know, it is played just about everywhere where human beings have habitation. But... Mostly, of course, as a colonial footprint uh, of our dismal English past, our British past, uh, in the West Indies, of course, in South Africa, in some of the Eastern African countries in particular, like Kenya and uh, Zimbabwe and uh, so on, which were once part of the empire, uh, and in the Asian subcontinent, uh, what is now Pakistan, Bangladesh, India and Sri Lanka, as well as, I believe, they played in Australia and New Zealand. Well, That means there are lots of places where they don't play it. And as we know, cricket is not always adored. Uh, So I was sitting on the plane and people saw me speaking into my phone, uh, trying to sort of um, live the moment and uh, wondered what I was doing and I also asked the cabin crew if they could have a word with the pilot and if the pilot could tell me the score if because if the internet went off which it did several times the pilot wasn't allowed to um but nonetheless uh, it, it struck up a conversation around a, as a lot of the Americans on the plane had no idea there was a world cup going on of course they knew about the women's world cup in football in soccer as they call it but they weren't aware of this and and it reminded me of how cricket can be a, a lingua franca you know a kind of uh, easy uh, conversation opener around the world especially in places where it isn't much played there was a time when I lived in New York and um, the the cab drivers were beginning to become mostly in fact uh, Asians from the subcontinent and they were used to getting Americans getting in the back and not really having much in common to talk about because they didn't want to talk about baseball or or American football particularly so I would get in and I'd see the name and I'd recognise it as Sri Lankan or, or or maybe Gujarati or whatever and I'd um, start off a conversation about, um, you know, Sonal Gavaskar or, or, or something like that. And uh, immediately the floodgates would open and conversation would begin and it was a a, a, a thing one could have in common uh, and a thing of friendship. It, it, it didn't offer rivalries and um, enmities. It just offered um, a shared joy in cricket which as you know is probably the third biggest religion in india and uh, and there are not many indians who who won't want to talk about it it seems so cricket has that has that quality because it is played by well over a billion people in India alone and around the world by m- many millions more, but is yet still a mystery to so much of Europe and so much of the United States of America, and indeed it must be said in our home country. Goodness, aren't you as a cricket lover slightly uh, upset by how few people seem to share our passion sometimes, you know, when we want to talk about it, or you mention to someone you're going to a match and they go, oh, and you see that look come into their eye and it's a question how do we uh, how do we do something about that because we know what an extraordinary game it is we know that there really is no pastime like it for variation in and so many parameters so many so many areas in which in which the game can be affected whether it's weather and time and and, and these rhythms throughout uh, a game and these interpersonal contests and and these narratives and histories that go on inside i don't know of any other sport that has a a tithe of such extraordinary complexity and yet such dramatic power to entertain and to thrill um one could go on and bat it forever, I suppose, and it uh, obviously is very boring to people that don't get it and yet, like anything that you know is joyous and is a, a peak of humankind's invention like cricket, you want to share it and now we're, we've got a World Cup a great fiesta of cricket, and we have to ask ourselves at this point as we're poised uh, on, on the verge of the uh, of the final three matches uh, of, of at least the great sort of important ones I suppose if one's honest the two semifinals and the final uh, we must ask ourselves, is, is cricket going in the right direction to attract new people? The passion and the fervour of the audiences, the, the crowds, audiences, i such an actor, uh, the, the gates that have uh, attended are obviously um, a proof of, of, of the enduring love and the depth into which it has penetrated into so many different cultures and nations around the world. But nonetheless, there is work to be done, my friends, in order for more people to... to to understand the greatness of cricket, um, and and I, I don't know what the answer to that is. It's something I'm going to talk to you, Stuart, about uh, uh, on another occasion. I expect we can talk about ways of um, of opening it up and reaching out and so on. There are all kinds of issues. There are issues of class and uh, and so on, which we we have to can confront you know the fact that private schools have such extraordinary facilities um, I've in my time tried to help with the uh, MCC Foundation which uh, has had this brilliant idea of getting the private schools with their incredible cricket grounds to open them up to the other schools around them. Uh, it can sound a bit like oh we are, aren't we being charitable, we're so bloody kind and good aren't we and I know it's all a bit horrifying and once you start talking about class in, in England you, know, you just want to run away screaming because it's such a, an agonizingly embarrassing subject but um the point is that the, the spirit is willing to try and make it as an inclusive a, a game as possible around the country and that obviously begins with getting young people kids playing it, kids of both genders of course which is finally beginning to happen more and more but anyway I, I, I won't go too too deeply into that, I suppose I, I, I think we should, because we're still in the middle of this uh, um, fascinating fascinating uh, World Cup talk about uh, the surprises of it and uh, the, the major one I suppose to me, maybe I just hadn't thought it through properly is how the slowness of the pitches, the dryness of the pitches has meant that the, the run fest, the six fest that we expected with the Exception of Owen Morgan's extraordinary display and a few other moments has not quite been what we may have expected, and in, in fact it has been a much more tightly balanced affair. The toss seems to have been important in uh, England's case, uh, as everyone has pointed out, when we when we bat first uh, rather than chase. We, we, we seem to be assured of success, maybe because the wickets are a little faster and uh, despite the fact that the ball may move around in the mornings a little bit more, nonetheless that white ball doesn't swing. and So it allows, particularly when Jason Roy's at the crease with Johnny Bairstow, it allows a pretty good knock to uh, to open up with and uh, to lay a foundation for the rest and then the the track seems to slow down and the bowlers then begin to use slower balls and uh, and those of us who are not great cricketers and who never could bat for toffee as I couldn't are uh, uh, possibly a little puzzled by that, well if it's slower then you've got more time to hit it, I don't understand why this should cause a dry up of runs, well that's something Stuart can explain to those of us who are too stupid to understand it instinctively because we've never really been there and tried it I mean I've you know I used to bowl a bit and I do remember trying slower balls and and sometimes getting a caught and bowled as a result of it because the the batsman was mistimed his uh, speed through the stroke and so on but anyway we'll, we'll 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 let the the expert address that subject but I wanted to talk too about the uh, the nature of uh, England supporters because that's you know part of part of cricket is the fact that it is an international game. In baseball, you don't really get that. I mean, Japan plays and Canada plays, but they don't play each other as nations. They just play with in the so-called World Series, Canada and and the various uh, uh, clubs in um, around the United States. But but we we often play internationally as well as at the county level, and uh, so you know characteristics come out and uh, it's very noticeable isn't it uh, and maybe it's the fault of social media but the, the siren voices the moment the moment something you know I, I saw things about Joss Butler sort of saying oh what's all this I thought he was supposed to be you know a gift from heaven and there he is he's failed in yet another innings I, and I think oh my goodness the mercilessness of the British it's just astonishing <laughs> they, can't, they can't seem to uh, they can't seem to give in Anybody a break sometimes but then again you know that's just the the ones you notice but it is it is an interesting side to cricket that because it's an, a game a team game and an individual game in in, in such a st- Stark way, you know. On a football field, you can, you know, you can have a, a bad afternoon or a bad day at the office, as they say, but you can have a good one too. Uh, and you know, if it's really, if you're not scoring goals or saving goals in a spectacular fashion, it's it's not the end of the world. But a batsman has one chance, uh, uh, as it were. At least every ball he has one chance, and the moment that wicket goes, he can no longer contribute to the run scoring, and uh, and so that that word failure is used. That's it about you. I don't know what your line of work is. In in mine, we sometimes moan and, and, and wail about the fact that uh, we've got a bad review and someone has said something slightly nasty, or oh, Stephen's performance was rather wooden or disappointing or something. You might come across, and you, you know, you just want to cry. But, but 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 sports sports players on the back page the whole back page and sometimes even the front of a newspaper england's shame failure disaster miserable oh my goodness me how would i i would never cope with that so uh, you know in australia as well which is quite simmering personality to the British you like to knock down those who are cocky and uh, so on. Well anyway I'm, I'm, I'm talking far too much, I'm just trying to sort of raise various points because I'm here in Los Angeles and um, it's a peculiar thing to be on an aeroplane while such a vital game is going on. It turns out it seems that the game was not that exciting at least after the remarkable opening partnership between, uh, between Roy and, uh, and Verstov. things kind of went over, got 20 odd I believe and uh, and, uh, you know, it was it was a good posting in the end, 306, was it? Goodness me, I haven't actually got the information on me because I've literally just landed in Los Angeles and I'm very jet-lagged. Um, but uh, it turns out that score was... Actually very good on the ground and certainly good enough against New Zealand. But there was a suggestion, wasn't there? This run rate business uh, has caused matches to peter out towards the end of the tournament. Uh, India's uh, rather lacklustre performance in chasing our total in the, in, in, in the match we uh, one against them, and New Zealand ditto. And people have said this is because they need to be assured their run rate uh, won't mean they can be overtaken by Pakistan or, or whatever. And maybe we should use another another means of distinguishing two teams that have made the same number of points, i.e. the same you know, number of points from wins and losses. Um, and someone suggested it should be the team that had hit the most sixes. And I thought, well, yes, that's possible but actually maybe that's going to just take the game into a silly dimension maybe it should be the team that bowls the most dot balls and that's good because every bowler wants to bowl a dot ball or indeed a wicked which counts as a dog ball um and, of course, the opposite side wants to make sure that every ball is not a dot ball. So it just it, it, it increases the motivation for the batting side to score as freely as it possibly can, but not in the silly way of sixes. It means it allows ones, twos and threes as well as fours and sixes. Maybe that's a suggestion. Usually when I suggest anything, it's, it's a disaster. Um, anyway, I, I'm going to leave now. Uh, and... Uh, I'm sorry I'm not with you, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to be in England for the semi-final and the final, which is a disastrous state of affairs. But I have set up a proxy server and so I can watch it and I will be able to join in and I hope we'll do some live podcasting very soon. Meanwhile, I hope that you accept my apologies for not being with you properly in the studio, Stuart, and I look forward to your comments on this game and the games to come and your predictions and prognostications. You did say that England would be there in the final four and I was a bit... A little, uh, little bit pessimistic. Well, no, I was a fan, you know. I was just whiny and, you know, doubtful. Anyway, that's enough. Uh, lots of love from the United States of America uh, on the eve of the 4th of July.
0: Thanks for that, Stephen. Fascinating as ever. Kane being Kane, Ross being Ross, and Stephen being Stephen. More from him next week when I'm hoping to join in by Skype to talk about the semi-finals. Now it's time to look back on the past week of this World Cup.
3: Right then, let's get started with England. They gave us all a bit of a scare. You described it, Stuart, as playing knockout cricket early. Yeah, I mean, obviously I think it's job
0: done reaching the semi-finals. I think it's almost uh, captured more imagination with England losing those couple of games. I think a lot of people have, have talked about the World Cup a bit more because... England's place in the semi-finals wasn't 100% guaranteed. Um, I think it's, it's an advantage for England to have had the pressure of having to win two games. There's always pressure in World Cup games, but actually the New Zealand game was a, a quarter-final. So we, we've played with the pressure of knockout cricket, which should lead us into a semi-final feeling like we've almost done that before. And looks like we could play India at Edgbaston with with great memories of that. On the flip side of that, then it could look like we could play Australia at Laws, which obviously we, we lost. But you, you don't want to look as far ahead as the final. It's We're going into the semi-final with the most positive thing being we're back to playing the cricket that England white ball side have played for three years. Um, yes, we've won a couple of massive to- tosses. I don't think we can we can argue that. I think particularly the Durham game was almost win the toss, get a score on the on the board and win the game because that pitch deteriorated so much. But very encouraging as an England fan, um, is the way we've played, the the bats from the back striking the ball uh, and the bowlers are taking wickets. So what a huge semi final it is next Thursday, which should be England India without any sort of more um upsets in this World Cup. Um a really tough one to call because India will perform better than they did against us um, in, the, in the group game. I thought India had a, a bit of an off day uh, and England beat them quite convincingly, really. I know India ended up getting over 300, but you know, Rohit Sharma, 12 off 31 or something in the first 10 overs. Once you, you, you put your team that far behind the eight ball, you, you're always going to be struggling to, to chase a 330 odd. So uh, I think India will play with a slightly different intent. Um, because it will be must-win for them. It was actually the game at Edgebarston on Sunday just wasn't must-win for them. So you do play with a different intensity
3: in those sort of games. You talk about how, how well England have done and the performances in particular. From, from your point of view, being a player yourself, what, what changed from those performances that were slightly disappointing against Sri Lanka and Australia to suddenly these two great performances against India and New Zealand? We batted
0: first. I mean, the two games we lost... The batting unit was put under big pressure from early wickets, uh, chasing a score. So Sri Lanka obviously bowled very well. Their key bowler, Malinga, getting wickets in the middle. Uh, Australia's key bowler start taking wickets up front and we never recovered. So uh, if I was an opposition team, I'd be looking to, to bat first against England. A, because the pitches are tiring uh, and B, because they've won batting first and batting really well and they've lost batting second and, and coming up short. So uh, I don't think that's the only reason that we won these these two games. I think there were two very, very good tosses to win. We we played a, a better style of cricket. And Jason Roy obviously coming in at the top has aided the the team getting off to a good start, 100 for none in both. Uh, but there's a different pressure to chasing. So um, I think we'll definitely see the semi-finalists that, that England play uh, look, look to look to bat first against England and put scoreboard pressure on the board.
3: Moving on to the semi-finals, then we we think we know the lineup, barring any surprises in the remaining games. presuming Australia and India both win. Let's start with Australia versus New Zealand first. Aussies clear favourites.
0: I just I, New Zealand have gone downhill in this tournament pretty quickly. Um, their batting looks looks pretty fragile, really. It uh, doesn't look explosive. They're, 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 they've got three or four players horribly out of Nick. And thing is, when you do get out of Nick, you get out in some really strange ways. So Martin Guptill slipped in against South Africa and kicked his stumps. He, against England, he got caught down the leg side, which is extremely unlucky as a, as a batsman. You just find ways to, to get out, which is easy to say, you know, oh, well, I'm just getting out in funny ways. But you, you, you then have no confidence to go and strike the ball uh, like you normally would be doing so like a Jason Roy's just going out there and hitting the ball freely Martin Guptill's trying to scrape his way to a score and you could see the other day he just was tapping balls back that normally he'd look to lift over the bowler's head etc so it's a horrible place to be in as a as a batting unit when three or four of your, your players look out of touch and um Kane Williamson is obviously such a big player for them, scored over 30% of their team runs. Against England gets run out like he did, you know it's not your day. But they'll have to find something extraordinary to beat Australia, I think. Um,
3: how, do they, how do they do that?
0: They have, got, they have got that talent there. Ross Taylor could get 100 uh, off 90 balls and someone else fire. Um, Lockie Ferguson um, has genuine pace blessing in disguise him not playing against England you know he'd have been a real threat on that pitch so uh, they know he's such a dangerous player for them leading leading into the semi-finals they need him fit so they have got players who um, could beat Australia but they would have to all fire and, and all have a, a great day and some of their slightly um, less important players so to speak uh, come to the party a little bit.
3: How worrying is it seeing Australia seeming to hit so much form now?
1: Well, yeah,
0: It's exciting in a way that, you know, as an England fan, imagine an England-Australia final at, at the home of cricket it, in a World Cup. would be an amazing spectacle, a, spect- a spectacle that's like a Wimbledon tennis final or, or something like that, that you, as a sports fan you're just desperate to be at. Um and I think England have got enough to, to beat Australia. I do. I, Australia are playing brilliant cricket. Finch and Warner getting them off to great starts. But they're batting first and putting decent runs on the board. And they have a very good wicket-taking bowling line-up. But what happens if they don't bat first? We don't know what, what will happen. They seem to be batting first a lot. What happens if uh, an England side bats first and gets 350? Where do they go from there? So I think... Um, Obviously, they're, they're a danger, but I, I think in a crunch match like a World Cup final, England would, would have too much for them if things went England's way. Uh, but I heard Justin Langer speak there, and he's so true. Australians do find a way to step it up in, in tournament play. They're always there and thereabouts. Um, but this England team have got an extraordinary amount of talent, and they've almost brushed
3: aside India. Um, so I see England as, as major favourites again now in a word then I think I know the answer but who's going to win Australia New Zealand that semi-final I've been wrong before but let's make
0: that very clear um, I, I thought West Indies would have a half decent tournament and they've been they've been pretty woeful after the, the, their early start so uh, I think Australia will beat New Zealand I think India will lose to England so England will win at Baston. I mean England have won 10 times in a row at Edgbaston so it seems a bit of a fortress for the side um, and then England will win the toss, bat first at, at Lords in the World Cup final, get 3.40 and win the game. It's a good prediction.
3: Let's talk about that other semi-final in a bit more detail there now. England versus India. How do you see that one going? What's going to be key to winning that? Again, the toss,
0: I think. I, I think in these tournaments, with the, with the pitches they have, how they've played, if you can get over 3.20 batting first... You're securing victory, really. So that's how Pakistan beat us at Trent Bridge, etc. So I think winning the toss and batting has seemed a, a really good way of going about things. Um, so the toss will be important. And when England have won the toss and batted, Jason Roy and Bester have got them off to flyers. So that's sort of continuing through. And someone we've yet to see spark in this World Cup is a Joss Butler, I think. I was expecting sort of big things maybe at Chester Street because India, he almost came in too late. You don't want Joss facing eight balls. You want Joss with the chance to face 60 balls, really, for him to to take the game away from the opposition. So um, I think Butler's due a score and, and is likely to get a score against India at uh, at Edgbaston. And if England win the toss and go and get, say, three three twenty, three thirty. If you get Kohli, I, I I don't think I don't see India having the the firepower
3: to get it. Just finally, then your overall views on the Cricket World Cup to date: a big success after the early rain issues. Has been a success, yeah. I mean, we obviously had
0: that sort of week washout, didn't we? Where <laughs> we got together for the podcast and sort of had fifteen overs to discuss in the whole week. It was a strange week for that, but yeah, the cricket's got moving again, hasn't it? And I I think people watch cricket slightly differently now uh, and all sport in general i think i've certainly found myself looking at great moments in the games uh, and little highlights packages rather than sort of watching cricket all the way through for the whole day so i'll see a wonderful catch or a great stark yorker to stokes etc um which moments in sport do inspire people uh, that you and I think there's a lot of people out there who are getting interested in cricket by just seeing these great bits of skill great catching great six hitting um, on little clips or listening to the radio in in little parts and cricket has been a bit of a a conversation around the place and obviously I'm a cricketer so I'm around cricket change rooms where people are talking uh, about the sport but um, I heard uh, Josh Butler say he's walking down the street in, in Clapham and someone shouted out a window good luck next week Josh which doesn't happen in any other part of cricket apart from World Cups and Ashes Series. So I think that it's been a, a positive influence. I think it's huge that England have made the semi-finals. Um, it, for, for English cricket to grow and participation to be really influenced, England probably have to win the World Cup. But um, it's, it has been a, a, a great tournament to, to watch and be a part of. I think there's a few dead games floating around now. I think we're just ready for the semi-finals to kick off now.
3: Right, time to move on to some listener questions. Then we've had one in from Edward Dunn. What do the numbers on the caps of the England squad mean in the ICC World Cup? Well, yeah, good question. There's a couple of numbers
0: you get on the on the caps, and obviously you get your match shirt number. The match shirt number is of your choice. So uh, when you first get into the England team, you get issued a random one, um, and then. I suppose when you play a little bit or whatever numbers come available, uh, you you get to choose from those available numbers. So I chose number eight when Darren Goff retired, and numbers come available when a player hasn't played for three years or retires from from the game. So do you, and um, you have to wait
3: that long until you can get their number?
0: You have to wait that long, yeah, three years. So, um, but now that actually now the Test Championships coming in, uh, Test cricket will be played with names and numbers as well. So I get to keep my. Number eight, I suppose. Um, but the caps. Joe Roots uh, picked
3: his number very wisely as: well. Route
0: 66, yeah, and his brother uses Route 66 at Glamorgan as well, so yeah, it's, um, But the caps uh, the, under the England badge, there's either a number of 50, 100, 150, and know Morgan's the only person to have 200, and that's the amount of caps you've get. So you get a presentation at the start of the, of the game of your 50th, your 100th, your, 150th, 200, same in Test cricket. Although test cricket's 25, 50, 7,500. Uh, and the number on the side is the order of which you've been picked for England. So my one-day number's 197. So I'd have 197 on the side of my one-day cap, which is I was 197th male to play uh, one-day cricket for England. Uh, I think I'm number 18 in T20 cricket. So I've got number 18 uh, on my T20 cap. And test cricket, I'm 638, so 638th man to play test cricket for the, for the England men's team. Um, and that's a, a little number written on the back of your test cap you get given.
3: And that goes on your match shirt as well. Do you know how far that's gone now? Who, who's the most recent one and what number would they be? Oh, yes. Uh, I th- well, I,
0: would Im- I think Ben Fokes would be, is there someone played after Someone's Ben Foulkes? Someone's played more
3: recently than Ben Folkes.
0: Um, Joe Denley okay so Joe Denley there we go what number do we reckon Joe Denley is Joe Denley made his test debut in Antigua I think to open the batting Uh, see 2015 we'd got up to 666 because Adam Lithe got given the option as to whether he'd want the 666 number oh or to skip it to skip it um, Nobody wants to be known as the devil, do they? I guess. But he took the number. I think he was like, "It doesn't bother me at all." So he's uh, he's got the devil's number. So we must be up to well, that's now four years ago. Blimey, yeah. Um,
3: I'm going to say 682. 690, I believe. Six ninety, is 690, it? Six ninety. Yeah. So we're almost seven hundred male test cricketers for England.
0: So I was six eight. Uh, Six three eight, yeah. Jimmy's six one three. So Jimmy's played with a lot of debutants. Wow. Yeah. So how many? Because Paul Collingwood was number one in T twenty. I don't suppose we're going to know how many T twenty caps we've got now, have no. we?
3: But yeah, someone it, find out and write in for us. Yeah,
0: it, c- it can gather up really quickly. But yeah, Joe. I mean, I played England under with Joe Denley um, back in two thousand and four. I think that was. So um, we had a couple. Didn't we? Rory Burns in Sri Lanka. Uh, ben Folk's in Sri Lanka. Yeah, it's a uh, nice, it's a nice, in, it's a nice moment. Yeah, you get a, a box with your test number on, with your test cap in, um, and that's yours forever. It's uh, it's a nice moment.
3: And you don't get a cap every time you play, do you? Because in football, Gary Lineker's told us you get a cap every single game you play.
0: Well, you get one. You say first cap twenty-five, fifty, and you can choose which cap to wear. So. I went through, well, I just wear a sun hat because I need to protect my ears. That's what my mum always told me when I was a kid. You've got to protect your ears. So, um, But I, I've i always worn sort of the number one cap I got given all the way through. That's sort of, a, you know, remember Steve Waugh had an old battered bag, baggy green. Uh, that was a bit of a trademark for, for me. When I played, like Matt Pryor was a big influence on me, like a real team man. And if we won a series, we'd always dash a tiny bit of champagne on our test cap as a just sort of adding in a little bit of... You know, a bit of, mem- nice. bit of memory into the test cap. Um, How
3: does that smell now, then?
0: Yeah, a bit fruity. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I mean, we've had. I mean, I think Stephen Finn got really upset because I think his mum washed his test cap. I think I'm right in thinking that tweet is, Steve, if I got that wrong. But yeah, it's. Uh, so I, think it's his, really small I think his mum it. had grabbed his, um, his whites to wash and, and put his test
3: cap in the wash as well, which washed
1: away now, his, hold little, on a minute.
3: his little memories. So Stephen Finn playing test cricket for England and he's still got his mum washing his whites. Do you know what? I can't,
0: I can't even uh, blame him for that because when I play at Trent Bridge uh, for knots... My mum lives on the drive in to Trent Bridge, So I I drive in the morning, pick up my washing, drive to the Grey game play, and at the end of the day's play I drive past mum's, drop the washing in and go home. It's That's awful Unbelievable. So, isn't it? 33 years old. Um, but she gets, she knows how to get the the, the stains out. <laughs> I cannot get stains out of cricket whites. I've tried. I've tried for 15 years. I can't do it and mum it's always said to me as a youngster, I've always got to go out in clean whites. So um, fantastic, good work. Yeah, she,
3: she has to, she has to take the, the grass stains out the knees. Brilliant, right? Another question here from Jackson Pastor. Thoughts on the England fan in the crowd sledging Stark as he's walking out to bowl may not have been the best idea.
0: Well, you always get you always get a bit of sledging or a bit of abuse when you're walking out in an opposition country. I don't think Stark would have been affected by that. I think uh, I did see Stark's wife uh, tweet uh, that someone had had a bit of a go in breakfast. I mean, I think for me, once you step on the field of play, once you're in the sporting arena, then it's game on. You know, the crowd can do whatever they want. But when you're in your personal space, I think it gets a little bit, Um, unnecessary you know I think uh, she tweeted sort of high fives to the English bloke who fired up Mitch with some banter at brekkie you know on your legend type thing which if you're enjoying breakfast with your family there's no need to get sledged by anyone is there and and, obviously have you ever had that? oh you get it quite a bit wherever you are yeah especially if you had a bad day the day before yeah of course or if you're out for dinner that night but you don't want to rise to the bait, but if someone's rude, then it's you do a little bit, don't you? You know, it's. Um, I think social media has made it a lot easier um, for people to say things because obviously on Twitter you can just fire off a message, no one knows. But um, you do since social media's come about, you do seem to get a lot more people. I don't know, either recognise you because they see your pictures on social media or something, but feel like it's a bit easier to say things. People are a bit um, braver, aren't they? A bit braver, but it's, look, I, especially when you're in England, it's fine. It's always always quite nice, but Australia can get a little bit tasty. So I, I'm sure that anything got, that got said to Mitch Stark um, has been said to English players in Brisbane.
3: Right, another question then. Why do different coloured balls make such a difference to bowling? That's from Alison Yowd.
0: Great question. Yeah, I mean, um, you have different make, makers of balls. You know, in England, we use the Dukes, Australia, South Africa, we use the Kookaburra, India, they use SG, I think. So um, you do get different makers of balls, which are, all change shape and change how they make them. I think Kookaburra are, are machine made, Dukes are handmade. Um, but there's no doubt the red ball swings more than the white ball, uh, and the pink ball swings under lights but doesn't really swing in the daytime, which is all a bit of a mystery but i th- I don't think anyone really knows how the pink ball's going to react because there's just not been enough cricket played with it um but i know I, I know the red jukes the red ink the 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 ink is sort of bled into the leather. Whereas it's different in the, it's done differently in in the Kookaburra made in Australia, I think. So they do behave slightly differently. The English Duke swings later, the Kookaburra swings earlier, um, and the Kookaburra can reverse quicker uh, because the lacquer might come off, etc. But I've never actually been to a, a factory. It seems strange because actually, they my whole livelihood relies Are your on what, of Yeah, um. my whole livelihood re- relies on what these balls do. But I've never actually been to a. Um, been to a factory and seen how they're made, etc.
3: But it is actually the process of making them and getting the different colours that causes them to behave differently then?
0: Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, the the white ball just doesn't seem to do anything for the bowlers, does it? It's uh, It's got exactly the same size seam, the same amount of stitching. Uh, I'd imagine made in a very similar way, but it just behaves slightly differently. Um, maybe because the batsmen are hitting it more. Maybe. It could be something simple as that. It's getting worn and more abrasive quicker. But, yeah, the white ball used to swing quite a lot in the early 90s, like up to 99, and then the swing sort of disappeared.
3: Great. Final question then. Who was the most dreadful fielder of all time? Very good Oof. question. That's from the Malu Bong. Well,
0: you're a cricket fan. Who do you think?
3: I mean, my memories
0: well, of, my, <laughs> my, my memories of like Dev and Malcolm were pretty bad, but I used to watch those sort of videos, like gaff videos and stuff, if, if you remember them as a, as a kid, um, and Malcolm always used to be the one dropping catches
3: and going through his legs. Someone um, that you, you must have played with, well, I know you've played with, Monty Panesar was always the one that seemed to get it a bit from the crowd. Yeah,
0: Monty famously, might have even been his test debut, or certainly on his first tour, uh, let one go, didn't he, off Dhoni when he skied it in the air and it bounced about a yard from him. Um, Monty wasn't a natural fielder, I think that'd be the politest way to say it. He he was uh, someone that, when you're on the field and he was under a catch, it was 50-50.
3: Is that how you felt he when 50, you were on the hook? You
0: were just, as a bowler, normally the catch goes up. You're like, yeah, that's like, what a great chance. And if it's dropped, you're like, oh no, what a shock. But when he was under the ball, it was like, Ugh, I'm not sure Stop about walking back I'm to the know, end of the mark I'm already. not sure about it. He actually, towards the end of his uh, international career, started clapping before the ball got, like, got on its that way down to movement. him to try and trigger his brain and hands into getting in the same. Because he had massive hands
3: as well. Actually, he had a huge, huge chance.
0: Chance. Actually, he won't appreciate this, but I'm going to name him. My um, teammate at Nottinghamshire and pub business partner, oh, Harry, Harry Gurney, um, is a self-proclaimed terrible fielder. And uh, he actually, when he played for England, I think they did some sort of hand-eye coordination tests for him. And it was actually proven that he couldn't pick up the ball at the quick enough speed or, or a speed that really? made him an efficient fielder. Um, so, yeah, he's he's someone who, I think, you know, when it gets slashed at third man out the crowd and he just can't seem to pick it up and then it's all panic stations. Um, but he works really hard on it. Um, but he's, he, again, it, uh, polite way of saying it, not, not a natural jaunty Rhodes.
3: I was going to say that, though. You talk about working really hard on it. It's, it's almost falling out of the game now, isn't it? It's so important, the fielding, and the standards have risen so much. Are we going to lose the days where you had the few players that gave some... People's entertainment, shall we say, with some of their fielding efforts?
0: Well, we uh, the game has moved. You've lost the days of stopping it with your boot. Do you remember when Bob Willis used to tell bowlers off for diving in the field? I mean, that is an absolute given. Now you've got to put your body on the line. I remember watching. You know, Courtney Walsh jogging around the outfield, just lobbing a size 13 on it, picking it up and bowling it back. Do you know, imagine if you did that now, you'd be sent... I, a, get away I that, Joe you? Root would send me off the field. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think you, you, you in another five years' time, it, it's very possible that, that fielding will be classed as level to batting and bowling. You still see players make such a difference in the field. Um, but... As a bowler, you, your body moves in such strange ways to be able to deliver your skill with an action. There's always, you're always going to get tired and have moments where it doesn't quite, quite work for you. And it's, I reckon it's one of the worst fi- fi- feelings on the cricket field is once you drop to catch, to the hide. nerves of another ball coming to you are just horrible. You're just thinking, I can't drop two, surely. You, know, you, you suddenly, and it's like all sport, the ball just follows you. If it's not your day, the ball just finds a way to keep coming to you and someone will sweep it with extra spin on and it will spin <laughs> past
3: you. And um, Yeah, you can look like a bit of a fool in the, in the field at times. Now, this is going to feel like we've set you up for this, but it has only just come to me. I saw a tweet earlier or a video of a catch that you took in your game against Essex this week. And Now, unfortunately, you couldn't actually see the catch that was taken, but the reaction from the teammates was something quite special. Come on, talk me through it. Best one you've ever taken, you said on Twitter.
0: 100% the best one I've ever taken. Yeah, it was... I,
3: uh,
0: I took a good one in St Lucia in the last test we played, actually, when I misjudged it off Mowing Alley and it went over my head and I stuck a claw out. But this one, this one made me feel like Ben Stokes on the boundary. No, it was Ravi Bapara whacked it um, going, for, going for six and I had to run round from long on. It was a full sprint and a full-length dive into one hand an inch off the ground and actually joe clark was within five yards of me and it, i looked up and his face was just like his eyes were huge I couldn't believe and <laughs> one of the best feelings i've had on a on a cricket field actually i really? saw i mean the problem with county cricket there's obviously not the cameras that the tv cameras that follow it or anything but the i saw the county championship uh, twitter account tweeted the reaction of Jake Ball and Tom Moores as the keeper and bowler, and it was um it was great to see their reactions because it felt amazing to catch it.
3: Tom Moores felt like he was going to do hundred meters to come in yeah he had that. You, know,
0: you know that sort of uh, hand over the face celebration I did infamous when when Stokes he yeah. caught Voges in, in the eight for fifteen at, at Australia, Morsey did the same with his keeping gloves on, yeah, so it was look I, I don't think it had the same um importance as. Uh, Stokesy's catch at Trent Bridge, or Stokesy's catch in this World Cup, but it was—it's certainly nice to pull off a bit of a, a catch like that. It felt just
3: as good, I bet. Oh, of course. Just before we finish for today, though, and leave that topic, we have actually found the commentary of that catch, which I feel like we should play.
0: Ah, oh, I, I don't like to talk about it. I've not seen it, but uh, I've got on it on
1: the ropes. Here's Paul, and he's got a hold of this one. Now then. Another chance for Broad, it's in the air,
2: Stuart Broad, great attempt, great catch, what a catch from Stuart Broad, terrific innings from Papara but what a way to go, Stuart Broad with his second catch in the over
1: and sadly I suspect that will be off the screens because uh, it was caught right in front of the Larwood and Vos but as good a running catch by
2: an outfielder as you could wish to see. Ravi Bapar is on his way and Aaron Beard is also following him off. So the declaration is going to come at 590...
1: 590- cut, cut, cut. <laughs> it's the good lord from the co-commentators yeah, of the makes of the best. Good lord. <laughs>
0: Thank you for joining us. Remember to subscribe, comment, like, and get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag BroadAndFry. Enjoy the sunshine, and we'll be back next week.